Good evening. As we are here again to worship the God of heaven, we're thankful for everyone who's present this evening. Thank you so much for being with us and joining us. To our visitors, thank you for being a part of us this evening. I want to begin by telling what we call a simply a generic story. Because when I get through with it, then as you look back and reflect, you can think of someone yourself. You can fill in the blanks of names that this particular story fits well with. We'll begin by saying that we, as you say, at least more than once we've been involved in this. We find a brother whom we deeply love. A brother that we have known for many, many years. That brother has done a lot of great things for the cause of Christ. He's been looked upon in the past as being a great teacher. He has filled in at times for different things in the congregation as necessary and needed and was more than glad to do so. But something has changed. All of a sudden, that brother whom you knew upon being strong in the faith one who lived it and proclaimed it and was a help and encouragement to everyone else around him, now has fallen into the trap of sin. He's no longer that influence that we remembered from the past. He's no longer doing the good things and not being encouraging unto others as we do remember. He is now engaged in that which is wrong. Now the difference is this. The congregation is now turning and they're praying. They're praying for his family because of the embarrassment that's been brought upon him by the things he is engaged in which is not right. They're praying that he will see the light, so to speak, that he will come to his senses that as others they know have tried to talk to him any way possible, any encouragement, anything they thought they could say of that would try their very best to help to bring him back. Prayers that hopefully someday this, these prayers will be answered that he will return home and avail himself, as we would say, of the mercy of God and the forgiveness God offers unto all of his children. The one thing we do know is when that person does finally respond, that is, finally become the realization, I'm not living as I should, others have been trying to help me, others are trying to warn me, and he finally comes that realization, I have sinned, I've got to get it, I've got to stop it, I've got to ask for God's forgiveness and God's strength and help. He finally does on, occasion, on that particular day, Sunday respond to the invitation. The tears fill the building, as it were, because the fact they've been waiting for this day to happen. He returns, and one of the beautiful things of it is, in his attitude of returning, his genuine attitude of repentance that comes from the fact that he knows he's brought reproach upon himself, his family, and especially the family of God. He asks for the congregation's forgiveness, which we all know they readily will do. But on top of that is, it is the day of rejoicing in heaven because one has returned home. But the most important thing is this. We know with that attitude of heart and mind that is genuine, God has promised not only to him, and to all of us, when we ask of His forgiveness, that it is genuine and real, and He's promised unto us that He will, for what? Have forgiveness of all our trespasses, 
and He will remember them against us no more. That, in a way, is a sad story. No doubt many of you are thinking someone in the past whom to this has happened to. That is, that you've seen this very scenario carried out in, in real life. And it is sad. It is very sad. And the congregation feels hurt by it, but when they, the time comes when they re, return, there is that great rejoicing. But here's the thing at times we tend to forget. And that is this. It could very well have been you or I. It could have been us instead of just them that we think about. Because the thing that the Bible makes us acutely aware of, that once we become a child of God, the life of struggle against sin doesn't stop. Matter of fact, it intensifies. And God has warned us throughout His Word that as we live and breathe on this earth, as we try our best to live as a child of God, we always realize there is that struggle that we always will have and deal with of sin. And we as servants of God, we cannot allow ourselves and we must work extremely hard of ourselves not to let habitual sin dominate our lives. And that's what we're looking at. We must have that transformation. We must begin to show unto others that we are truly children of God, that we're trying very hard to live as God wants us to live. As Paul told his brethren in Ephesus in the first verse of chapter 2, that you were, notice past tense, were dead in trespasses and sins, but they were no longer. And so he's saying to them, I know that, but I'm warning you, brethren, even though now you have come, you've become a child of God, you've hashed the past life of sin, it's been washed away, it doesn't end. The struggle continues day by day to work and to grow as a child of God, to not let these things take control of your life again and again. There has to be that transformation. But we must allow ourselves and remind ourselves of this one thing. Don't ever let pride allow us to make us think that this could never happen to me. Those are like our famous words that a lot of people through the years have uttered. This will never happen to me. And it ain't long as those saying is after they utter those things, it does happen to them. Because the attitude of pride is, as Solomon said, pride goes before destruction, a halted spirit before a fall. Anyone who takes attitude that something will never happen to me, or nothing will come of this, 99% of the time, it does. And it goes back to the old saying, as we all know, don't ever say never. Because as soon as you do, it will happen. So when we see a brother and sister that has gone back into the world of sin, we need to constantly remind ourselves that it could very well happen to be you or I. It could have been us instead of them. When we look at the Word of God, and we'll just use three examples, and these are just three out of everything we could think of to add to this list. When we begin is this. The first sad event in the Word of God as far as humanity is concerned, is this. Cain murdered his brother Abel. But did you realize that could have been you or me? That it could have been us? 
We're familiar with the story and we realize it is the first death recorded in all of the Word of God and it is a sad way in which it happened. It doesn't say that Abel died of natural causes or he was out in the field and fell and hit his head or any of those things we might think of that would have been accidental and not on purpose. He was murdered. And we all know that. He died at the hands of his brothers Cain in a moment of anger. We know the story. We know it quite well. It is one story even that children have been taught as they grow up about the two brothers of Cain and Abel and trying to teach them even at that age about what anger can do. We know the fact they were told to offer sacrifices unto God. Abel offered what he was supposed to as God required of him, but Cain did not. And it lets us know in that reading that the Cain was angry. And listen what the Lord said to Cain in verse 6 of chapter 4. The Lord said to him, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? He was asking him, Why has your countenance changed? Why do you have that angry look upon your face? What has brought it about? Is it because I told you what I wanted for a sacrifice and you refused it? Was it because your brothers was accepted? You know, we're never told really the answer, but the point of it being, God asked you, what's wrong? Why are you angry? Verse 8, this is all it says about the murder of Abel. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother is able and killed him. That's all it said. Now the thing we do not know was that anger festering over a long period of time as Cain tried to figure out a way, a plot, a plan, a time, a right time in his mind that he could take vengeance upon his brother because he his sacrifice was accepted and mine was rejected? Was it at the moment they were in the field that something Abel might have said just flashed him in a moment of anger and out of that moment of anger and lost control, he kills his brother? We're never really told for sure exactly what it was. But we remember this, it could have easily been you or I. Why? Because do we not all deal with anger every single day? Yes, we do. Listen to the Lord as He spoke on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. You've heard it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. Part of the Ten Commandments. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But watch Christ says, But I say unto you, that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be liable to the judgment. Now notice there, Christ simply said, the Ten Commandments, that part of the law Moses said unto you, you shall not murder. What does Christ add to that statement or add to that command? I'm going to give you the root cause. I'm going to tell you, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, whether you kill him or not, you've already committed murder against him in your heart. There is the root cause. So Jesus is telling unto all of His disciples, every one of you do will get angry. It might, fe- it might be the type of anger that festers over a period of time before it does anything, or it might be that flash of moment of anger in which you, out of control in that moment, kill someone, and then once you finally, if we say, come back down to earth, 
and realize what you've done, you go all to pieces. We all know that nearly every murder committed in this country, the root cause of it is what? What the Lord just said here. Anger. Anger. So remember, even in a moment of anger, we could end up being like Cain and murder someone. Now someone would say, oh, that will never happen. Now I would never do that. Are you sure? That's the point. Be careful. That will not happen. The next we want to use that could also be you and I is David's sin with Bathsheba. And you could also say again, it could just as easily be in you or I. We know that the story of David and Bathsheba is a story when we read it of looking, of lusting, of sexual immorality, and also this one ends in murder as well. We're familiar with the story as David was up on the rooftop of his house one evening and saw him Bathsheba bathing and became very lustful as he watched her bathe. He sent for her. We all know what happened in that story of Second Samuel 11. You know that after it's over, it sends her back. But we all know the story as it continues that David, realizing once he is great with child, he tries to do something to get to make it look like it's Uriah's baby. It brings him home, says, I'm bringing you home for some time. Go spend some time with your wife. Go home and enjoy your wife and be with her. Uriah said, uh-uh, no, no, no. I'd rather be with my buddies and soldiers. I don't want to, be, I don't want to leave them up there in the war and I'm humming home, having a vacation. So it didn't work. We all know eventually David had him sent to the front line to everybody to back off and Uriah was murdered. Ah, David, no doubt in the back of his mind, felt pretty good for the moment because in that moment of time, he had cleared of everything. Uriah's gone, no one will ever know. Uriah will never find out. He's out of the way. Bathsheba now can become my wife. I've got it all covered. Ah, uh, but just a little bit. Nathan the prophet comes knocking. And he tell, it comes to David without saying anything about what happened. He just tells him a parable. A parable of a man who was rich and had a great flocks of sheep. And a poor little farmer over here only had one ewe lamb. The man who had all the sheep and all this wealth and money invites his friends over for a dinner and still taking one of his flock and feeding them, he kills the poor man's one little ewe lamb. That was his story. That's all he said to David. Just that little parable. The result, David became angry, says that man ought to die for what he's done. Then Nathan drives the point home. You're the man. You are the man. In that moment, it hit David full flat in the face of what he had done. Yes, in his mind, he had covered it all. He had taken care of everything. He felt like his problem had been solved. No one will ever know. He was found guilty. He was the one who had taken the ewe lamb, as it were, and did what happened. But David, though, we read, as we know, was a very penitent man. 
We also know him to be what we know as the man after God's own heart. And if you want to know how David's heart was after Nathan the prophet had come knocking and told him the story, just read the 51st Psalm. Beginning with verse 2, it says this, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. David is saying from his heart, I'll never forget what I've done. But watch what he says next against you, talking to God, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Notice what David says in this time of repentance, time of asking God's forgiveness. He simply says to God, I have committed this against you. I've committed this crime against you. David had murdered God. He had murdered one of his angels or any of the things we think of of heavenly beings. He simply says, what I have done, I have broke your law. I have broken your commandments. And I want you to forgive me. Isn't that along the same lines that our Savior talked about in His scenes of the judgment in Matthew 25? Did He not remind those on both sides, the left and the right, to the right? He said to those, to, to the least, when you did the least of these, my brethren, all the things He lists, visiting and so forth and etc., what does He say? You've done it unto Me. To the others on the other side, when you didn't do these things, he says, notice, you did not do these things to me. So David was right that whatever we do and whatever we sin that we commit, it is against the God of heaven, for we have broken His law. But when you look at David, as a whole of his life, he doesn't appear to be that a lustful type of person or one who would be constantly involved in himself in this kind of lifestyle or this kind of thing which is wrong in that respect. But yet, he fell into sin that night, and what happened from it was bad. This could have been his besetting sin, or it could have been just that moment that night. But then again, it could have been you or I. We live in the 21st century. We live in a time when electronics is the great thing of all times. We can do all kinds of things. We're amazed at the fact that our computers are getting smaller, our phones are getting smaller, and yet they can do more and more and more. The Internet is a wonderful thing. You can find about any subject, shop for anything you want to, or whatever. But also, what else is on the Internet? Pornography. Will we not say that is our lust and so forth of the 21st century? Absolutely. And the sad part of it, it has become such a great thing and a great part of the internet that even as you go out to look for things legitimate, for things you want to buy, things you want to check on, things you want to understand more about, you can accidentally find yourself plugging into one of those sites you did not mean to do so and didn't know you'd done until you got into it. It happens. What should our attitude be? Our attitude will be that of Joseph when he was caught in poverty. Run. Just put it plain. Run. 
Because remember, it could very well be you or I, not just David, that what happened. Another one. This one we would say would be the one that we can almost say to ourselves, at times we know many Christians who have done this over a period of time because of sin. And that is this. Peter denied the Lord, but it could have been just as easily you or I. We're familiar with Peter's denial of Christ. It is found in all four of the Gospels. It is found in Matthew 26, beginning with verse 69 through 74. It is found in Mark 14, beginning with verse 66 through verse 72. It is found in Luke 22, beginning with verse 55 through 62. And it is found in John 18, beginning with verse 15 through verse 27. But I want to read Luke's account, and I'll tell you in a moment why I want to read it. It said, beginning in verse 55, And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking close at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Went out and wept bitterly. Peter denied the Lord. It wasn't premeditated. He hadn't already made up his mind, I'm going to do this when, if I'm confronted that evening. That's not what happened. Why do we know that? Prior in the upper room, when the Christ told him that he would do this, Peter, no doubt, you know, in pictures it was, probably drew his sword and waved it around and said, Never I, Lord, I will defend you. No one will take your life. I will see to that personally. In the garden, did he not whack off the servants here? In the essence of letting it be known, only if I said I'll defend my Lord here, I'm going to prove it. And he does. He wants everyone to know he'll stand up for his Lord. But it is in that moment in the, outside Herod's practorium that he does the thing he said to the Lord when the Lord told him he would. It'll never happen. Not me. Never. I will not do it. But, that he, but he did. The difference in Luke's story is this. In all four of them, you only find this mentioned in Luke. When he denied the Lord for the third time, it said the Lord looked at him. The only one of the four that mentions that point, that the Lord turned and looked at him, did not say a word. Not a word. Just looked at him. And we know what happened. Peter knew what he had done. Knew what he had done. And went out and wept bitterly. Jesus had warned him. 
And he said never. But it did. But he did. But in spite of that low moment in his life, and we could say the lowest moment of his life, period, Peter turned out to be the rock that Christ had called him to be. He became that rock. And if you don't believe it, just read his two epistles and it becomes concretely clear this man had grown through the years. But you see, it could have easily been you or I that have done that to the Lord. So you see, we can't ever say never. We cannot ever say, it never happened to me. I'll never do that. I'll never do any of these things. Never, never, never. No, don't ever do that. You will end up doing it because you said you wouldn't. This is the thing why we're constantly warned by God throughout His Word to remain steadfast. That after we've become a child of God, after we've obeyed those basic principles to become a child of God, from that day forward, we need to learn from the Word of God to constantly fortify our lives daily so that we can face the things of life and face sin head on and be able to either run, walk, take the door of escape and keep going or whatever necessary to avoid it. And then when we do sin, then when we do need to repent, let us be humble enough and take the action immediately to ask God's forgiveness. And you said in the beginning, God has promised, not only will I forgive you of that, I will erase it and remember it no more. Remember it no more. But you see, it takes the help of the Word of God. It takes its strength to be able to work day by day and fortify ourselves that we can hopefully, truly say, I will never let this happen to me with all possibility. I would never murder. I would never lust. And I would never deny my Lord. But in order to make that kind of statement, the life has to be concrete in this. Or else, that never will become a reality. This evening, if you're not a child of God, as we've said and we'll say again, all things are ready. Everything is simply waiting for you to respond to that precious invitation of the Lord. From this day forward, as you are buried in baptism, raised to walk that new life, bearing that old man of sin and raised to walk that new man, this evening you can do that very thing. And to this day forward, follow a life that is guided by God's great book, that will guide you not only while you walk on this earth from this day forward, that will also guide and lead you on the path that will lead you to the gate of pearl itself when death comes and says it's time to go. But it's seeing if you are a child of God who strayed from the truth, who realized once said, I never do it, but have. Realize there's sin in your life, you're separated from God, why you understand it, why you know it, why you realize it. Here's the opportunity to ask God's forgiveness and ask Him to help you, and He's promised you that He will. Don't let it continue on because it may get to a point that you will never return. Don't ever let that happen. While together we stand in while we sing.